Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. All right, I want to talk to you this morning about the love of God. Oh my goodness. My notes have gone completely crazy. When you open up your notes and they look like that, you have a sense the Lord is wanting you to wing it. I want to talk to you this morning about love. About the love of God specifically. Before we do that, though, I want us to remember our men who are out there on the front lines, Pastor Andreas and Stephen. I mean, I say front lines, they're probably sitting pretty comfortably, but, but nonetheless, they're out on a ministry journey, and we know that as soon as we head out to do anything for the Lord, the enemy comes against us. So, Father God, we want to lift up to you this morning, Stephen and Pastor Andreas, Lord God, as they are uh, in Colorado this week, Father, and we pray for a blessed time with Johan and Antoinette and Elise, with their friends and family in that area, spiritual family, Lord God, and we pray that this would be a time of bonding, this would be a time of ministry, Not just where they would minister, but when they also, Father God, would be ministered to. We ask you to strengthen them, bring them back to us, encouraged, revitalized in the Lord, and protect them. We also pray for Mom Kiriaku, we pray for Nicole and the kids, Lord God, and we pray your grace and protection over them too, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you for this moment that we have to be together, to talk about your love, to be reminded of the greatness of your love for us, and also, Lord, the challenge that you give us to be your love to the world around us. Would you speak to us, each one, this morning? Would you come and strengthen us? Would you come and uplift us? Would you, Father God, come and, come and strengthen us this morning in Jesus' wonderful name? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> All right. What I want to do this morning, as I mentioned, is I want to talk to you specifically about love. As you know, I'm working through a new course at the moment called the Attitudes course. And I want to give you a little bit of an understanding of what an attitude is. I think we all have an idea of when somebody's got a bad attitude, right? That guy's got tude. And it's just everything's negative, complains about everything, everything's too much effort. We also know what it looks like when somebody has a good attitude. They're positive. They can do. They're willing to go the extra mile. They're willing to do what it takes without complaining and grumbling. Now, your attitude is made up of three things. Number one, it is made of your thoughts, naturally. It's not what you think, but how you think. In a sense, it's the point of view that you reason from. So your perspective affects your attitude tremendously. The next thing that makes up your attitude is your emotions. Now, your emotions flow from your thoughts, amen? Your emotions, how you feel. Emotions are wonderful servants because they help us engage with life in a wonderful way. Imagine you didn't feel any love for your spouse. Maybe some of you are like, I've been there for a long time. We're not going there tonight. (laughs) Imagine you had no capacity to feel love or to be disappointed or angry or sad or joyful and elated. Our emotions enable us to engage with God, with life, the world around us, our relationships 
in a way that makes them alive when our emotions are in the right place, right? So emotions make wonderful slaves, but they make really lousy servants. How many of you have seen people going absolutely bonkers? You might have seen a little bit of this last night on the TV. When people just get absolutely in a rage, the emotions take over. And they say things they don't mean, or maybe they do, and they just give over to it. Other people get you know, overly emotional about everything. They can't handle anything without feeling hurt or insecure. Other people allow emotions to lead them astray. Dangerous. The third thing that our attitudes are made up of is that we've got our thoughts, we've got our emotions, and we've got our behaviors. Behaviors are a part of our attitude. And when you put these three things together, we understand that these three together comprise our attitude towards anything or towards anyone. The way you feel about the person next to you, the way you think about them, your impression of them, the way you feel about them will reflect in the way you treat them. You can fake it for a while, but ultimately your attitude, your true attitude will show over time. Now the wonderful thing, and the whole reason I'm, I'm trying to develop a whole course about this, is so that you understand that you and I have the ability to manage and control our attitudes. We are not victims to our attitudes, although we will have inherited some from our parents, from the work situation we find ourselves in, from our culture. We inherit attitudes naturally. But you have the power to change them. If that were not true, then how, then, then how could Jesus expect of us to become more like him and to embrace his attitudes? We can change how we think, and therefore we can change how we feel. That's right. You can change how you feel. Did you know that? No, I can't change how I feel. Don't you know what they did? Or don't you understand what's going on in the situation? Yes, you can. All you need to adopt is a different perspective of what you're going through. Let me give you an example. James chapter 1, he says, Count it all joy when you enter grievous trials and challenges. <laughs> Here's another one. Why? Why on earth would you consider that a joy? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces something. So when I have God's perspective in the matter, I say, oh, hang on a second, Lord. You are doing something for my good here. That's good. That means this is going to work out good for me. So if I can change my attitude instead of complaining about my struggle, instead of moaning about it, this trial, why is it so unfair? Why is this happening to me and not so-and-so? Why is everything they're doing working and everything I'm doing failing? And we go down our little pity party. We could say, hang on a second, God's trying to work something in this for me. God loves me. God's with me. And he's going to show me how to overcome the situation. The situation hasn't changed, has it? But your emotions have. I learned the power of this in a tangible way when my girls were younger. Now, I don't generally quote Hollywood stars and, and these kinds of thing in my, things in my messages, but you all know who Taylor Swift is, right? And she wrote a song called Shake It Off. And so what I used to do with my little girls, if they had a bad attitude, they would just mislook or in a bad mood, or I'd say, come, let's go to your bedroom. And we get to the bedroom, and I say, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling sad. And they moan, and they have their moan. I said, right, do you want to feel this way? No. I said, wouldn't you rather be happy? Wouldn't you rather be happy? Let me ask you that question this morning. Wouldn't you rather be happy? 
Wouldn't you rather be blessed? And we kind of just shrug that off and go, oh, look, it's not possible. I mean, you're asking, of course I'd rather be happy. It's a rhetorical question, of course. Everybody would say, I'd rather be happy. I'd rather feel blessed. I'd rather have a positive attitude in the situation. But you don't know, but you don't know, but you don't know. In other words, yeah, I want to, but I don't really, I'm not prepared to let go of what I'm feeling inside. But when you're little, the simplicity of that question is powerful. That's why Jesus says we should come to him as little children. Because sometimes the simplicity of the questions he asks us are incredibly powerful. And so I would say to my girls, right, here's what we're going to do. All these horrible feelings, all these things that are not nice, that are making you feel sad, we're going to shake them off. We're just going to shake them off. And so I'd go and I'd find this Taylor Swift song. And, I'd, and then, and then, and then we, we fast forward to the chorus because that's all that we needed for there. And there's other stuff in the verses that are are not necessary for my little girls, but the chorus does the job. And then I'd say, right, let's shake it off. And together with my little girls, we jump around the room going, shake it off, shake it off. And we'd laugh, and we'd be silly, and, they'd, and as, once I got them laughing, once I got them giggling, once I got them doing that, I'm saying, right, now doesn't that feel better? Right, so we're just going to leave all that stuff there now, and now we're going we're gonna to take it out, and we're going to be positive, right? Okay. And they would come out of that room, two minutes later, a different person. A different person. I'm sorry, if a three-year-old or a four-year-old or a five-year-old can do that, folks, come on. Come on. Let's take ownership of our attitudes, shall we? Let's stop making excuses. Let's stop blaming everybody else. Let's decide that we want to be the people that God has called us to be and be that. Not make excuses. Not say, oh, but woe is me and woe, and go down that path. Shake it off. Go watch another Disney movie called Frozen and let it go. Let it just You know, you gotta draw from whatever works, guys, sometimes. When we go to the Word of God and we go to the book of Matthew and we read what we now know as the Sermon on the Mount, many people call the Sermon on the Mount the Kingdom Manifesto. Who can tell me what a manifesto is? If I could liken it to anything, I'd liken it to a constitution. Manifesto. This is who we are. This is what we believe. This is how we do things. And Jesus, in the sermon, I mean, it's captured in the book of Matthew from chapters 5 through to chapter 7, 5, 6, and 7. It's three chapters long. And he begins to articulate what his kingdom is like, what the kingdom of heaven is like, And in so doing, if we work our way through that, what the attitudes of the kingdom of heaven is like. Right at the beginning, after he has gone through what we know as the Beatitudes, he says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. I know we discussed this last week, but I'm bringing it up again. Salt is distinctive. It's not like everything around it. It doesn't have the same attitudes. It's not complaining about the same things. It's not feeling sorry for itself. It's not moaning about the boss. It's not disparaging the spouse. It's not complaining. It's not doing, you know, as little as possible for maximum return. And then he goes on to say, you are the light of the world. 
a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor can they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That is who God has called you to, and I to be. Did you notice I said who God has called you and I to be? It's not what He has called you and I to do. It's not some external work that we can do, and okay, now there's a good work, and there's a good work. And This is who God is calling us to be. It's who we are. And it's the way we need to see ourselves. Distinctive and different. Light shining what? Shining the very love of God. Folks, as believers, love is the most important thing. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about love. And he says, you know, you can do a lot of stuff. You can do a lot of religious things. You can come to church, you can pray, you can give, you can feed the poor. But if all of that is born of some kind of religious duty to fulfill some kind of need or obligation, there's no point. Let me read it to you from the Message Bible. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but I don't have love, I'm nothing but a creaky, rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making every plan, uh, everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. It's worthless, it's meaningless. If I give everything I own to the poor, even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love. Sincere, true love that comes from a realization of a few things. Number one, it comes from a realization of our God. God does not have love. Love is not an attribute of God. God is love. Everything He does comes from love. Now listen, sometimes we find that hard because there's discipline in love, isn't there? If you love your children, you discipline them. You do not want them growing up to be brats, bringing shame to your name and trouble to the world. You teach them the difference between right and wrong, and the way that we learn that is through consequences. Right? So sometimes things happen and we're thinking, God, why? Because I love you. And for you and I as believers today, in the very next chapter of that, of that writing, Paul says, pursue love. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. But he says, there's one thing I want you to go after. I don't want you to go after gifts. I don't want you to go after money. I don't want you to go after fame, reputation, whatever it might be. I want you to pursue one thing, love. Pursue love. To understand it, and to become the embodiment of it. So let's spend a little bit of time unpacking the God kind of love. And this is called agape love. In the Greek, 
There are various words for love, and they mean different things. But today I want to focus in on just, we've heard this word before, the agape. It's the love of God or the God kind of love. There's human love, which is sometimes romantic. There's familial love, which are good things. Nothing wrong with that. But the love of God is something very special, and it's very unique. Because it's the kind of love that overcomes no matter what. No matter what's been done, no matter what's been said, it overcomes. Isn't that what the cross did? No matter what was done to Jesus, no matter what was said of Him, His love overcame. Every accusation and everything. So let's look a little bit at what this love of God is like, agape love. Number one, it's unconditional. What does that mean? You can't earn it and you can't lose it. God loves you no matter what. Did you get that? There is nothing you could do to earn more of God's love. There's nothing you could do to make Him love you more, and there's nothing that you could do to stop Him from loving you. And I really mean absolutely nothing. God loves you. I have a suspicion I'm His favorite, but I know He also loves you. And I hope you also have that suspicion. Not that I'm His favorite, that you're His favorite, for goodness sake. It's unconditional. Listen, God's acceptance is not necessarily unconditional. It's based on receiving that love through Jesus. Amen? But it's available to all. It is unmerited, so you can't earn it. It is self-sacrificing. That's what true love is, self-sacrificing. It is immeasurable and unending. You cannot measure it. You cannot say it's so big. So high, you can't get over it, it's so low. You can't get under it, it's so wide. You can't get around it. You gotta go through the door. You remember that song? Am I the only one? In other words, God love transcends and persists regardless of circumstances. It is practical. It's not just a feeling, it's not just emotional, it's not sentimental. God's not sentimental about you. He passionately loves you in practical ways. And finally also, it is very generous. It is very giving. God so loved the world that He He gave. God still loves the world, and so He He gives. He gives Himself. He gives His his joy and His blessing. He is a good God. Romans 5 verse 5 says, Such hope in God's promises never disappoints us because God's love has been abundantly poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now let's understand this in two ways. Number one, God's love has been given to you so that you may know that you are loved of God. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit who comes to live in us bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. God wants you to know that you are His, that you belong, that you have a place at the table. You're part of the family. Nobody is left out that comes through Jesus. You're not excluded. He wants you to know that you are loved and that you can come freely into His presence at any moment of the day and He is ready to sit and chat and listen and help and guide. But also we need to understand this verse from another perspective. That if this love of God is living within our hearts, then we have the capacity to love people with His love. And this is where things become a little more challenging. Because to love Jesus is easy, right? He's wonderful. He's perfect. He never does anything wrong. 
How about your family? How about those friends? How about the people around you in your workplace? How about that person? I'm not getting any amens yet here. How about that taxi driver? God loves them. Each one. Each one is precious in His sight. And God has given you and I the capacity to love. You know, we can do many wonderful things as Christians. We can sing beautiful songs as we've done this morning. We can dance in the presence of God and show the joy that we have. We can pray for people to be healed and they get healed. We can speak with other tongues. We can prophesy and show wonderful messages from God. We can feed the poor. We can do all kinds of things. But you know, Jesus said that there is one mark of a true disciple. People will be able to tell that you are a follower of Jesus, not by the fact that you go to church, not by the fact that you pray, not by the fact that you can speak in tongues or do wondrous signs. No, no, no. John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. 1 John 4, verse 7 to 11 says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Amen? Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now let me break this down to you and make it very practical and very simple. Because we're like, we could get lost in this one, and I'm not, I'm not loving this one. Does that mean I don't know God? Or I've sinned against this one, or this relationship is broken. Does that mean everything is lost? Here's, what, here's the way that, that I take that verse and make that very real and practical to myself. God is love, and He's calling me to love everyone. Amen? Now, if I am having a challenge in loving you, Uncle Nick, if you've done or said something, or I just don't like your face, and I'm struggling to love you, what does that tell me? It tells me that I don't see you through God's eyes yet. That's what it tells me. That I've got a way to go to say, God, I need to get your perspective concerning this person. Because you love them, but I'm struggling to. And maybe there's some stuff I'm going to have to let go and shake off. Some stuff that they've done. Some things that they've said, those things that I want to hold on to that make me feel like I've got something over on you, I'm right, you're wrong, you need to change, you need to apologize. Jesus didn't do any of those things for you and for me, and he was the only one who truly could have. But yet, he took those things on himself so that they could be let go. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He holds them against us no more. He chooses in his divine forgetfulness to remember the, our sins no longer. The things that we have done against him, against his love, against his lordship. And he sees us, despite all of those things, as precious in his sight. Now, if I'm having a challenge with somebody in my life, I need to be willing to say, God, that person is precious in your sight. Help me to see them the way that you do. I choose to forgive. And this is how we begin to change our attitudes. This is how we begin to change the way we think. When we change the way we think, we change the way we feel. And when we change the way we feel, we can change the way we behave. Let me give you, an, give you an example of when you know there's work to do in this area. You're shopping, 
Maybe you enjoy shopping, maybe you don't. You need some rice. You're going through and oil, oil, where's the oil? Got the oil there. Go up the next aisle. And now I'm needing some of the, uh, coffee. We'll put some coffee. No, not that one. We'll go for that one. And as you look up, you see that person. You know that one. And thank God they haven't seen you yet. Because you just realized you bought the wrong rice. <laughs> and you want to avoid that person. Because when you see that person, something's going on inside you. And I want to tell you, folks, that is a sure sign. You've got work to do. You've got work to do. Because the enemy's greatest desire is to bring division between us and God and, one, and against one another. God's desire is that you may be one as we are one. I in you, Father, and you in me, and me in them, and them with the Holy Spirit together would be one. One. Not splintered, not divided, not broken, but one. Now, whatever comes into my heart that makes me say, I don't want to be one with that person, tells you that there's still a part of you that is alive and needs to die, needs to be introduced to the cross. Do the work. That's all I want to say to you today. Do the work. I understand sometimes this is more difficult. I understand that there are some relationships that are properly strained. I understand that sometimes a lot of water has passed under the bridge. Never more than passed under Jesus. Whenever I struggle with this sort of thing, I have to remind myself of the cross where Jesus hung there, just being nailed, beaten, bleeding from every part of his body in absolute, utter agony. And he prays. And instead of saying, Father, see what they have done. He says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. In other words, they are working from their own position of brokenness, from their own insecurities, from their own pain. And as a result, they are manifesting all kinds of things. They certainly are not seeing from your perspective, but that is no excuse for me not to. What I'm talking to you about this morning is not condoning the things that others have done and saying, oh, it's okay and it doesn't matter. What I'm saying to you about, talking to you about this morning is loving them in spite of them. To be free from the power that those things have over you that manage and control the way you ought to behave. Rather, we throw those off and we say we are free because I have freely forgiven. I am now free to love I am now free to reach out and have wonderful relationship, not because of what you have done or because of what I have done, but because of who I am. I am a child of God, and therefore I love. To love needs to be the most natural thing for you and I to do. It needs to become natural. Just a natural expression of who we are. Kindness. Even in little things. You go first. You know? Thank you. Those floors look so sparkly. You didn't have to put those in the bag for me. Thank you. Showing a bit of gratitude. Showing a bit. Can I help you with that? 
maybe phoning somebody from time to time saying, I just want to encourage you. You're doing a great job. They might fall apart that very moment because they didn't believe it until you said it. And they still don't. But love seeks to forgive, seeks to restore, seeks to build up, seeks the best in that other person. One of the greatest things my father taught me was this phrase. We do not love people for who they are. We love them in spite of who they are. Why? Because love is a choice that we get to make. So let's look a little bit at what this attitude of love looks like. And we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to read from the Amplified Bible, and I want to unpack this a little bit. 1 Corinthians 13, starting from verse 4. Love endures with patience and serenity. What does it mean to endure? It means to stick with it when you don't feel like it. Nobody has to endure a pleasurable meal. They may have to endure the company that comes with it. But endurance means there's something that is hard, and I'm going to keep on doing it. So an endurance runner, Michael will tell you he's done a couple of marathons, has to keep on going, and it's hard. But endurance means you can keep doing it for a long time. But I love this part. It says, it endures with patience and serenity. How many of you endure with patience and serenity? Come on, sweetheart, we're running late. <coughs> Love is kind and thoughtful. I like that. It's kind and it's thoughtful. It's thinking of others. In other words, I have you on my mind. One of the best ways to keep people on your mind, pray for them. It is not jealous or envious. Yeah, we can fall into that trap. They got it so good. They don't deserve that. You're right. But neither do you. You know what? Sometimes when I feel I have gotten the short end of the stick or I don't have what I feel I deserve, I think to myself, hang on a second, Morris. You should be glad that you don't get what you deserve. Because that cross over there is what you deserve. So thank God somebody took what you deserve and in His grace gave you something so much better. How about you stop feeling sorry for yourself? Love does not brag and it is not proud and it is not arrogant. In other words, it doesn't rub... On the one hand, it's not jealous of other people's success and on the other hand, it does not rub its success in somebody else's face. Do you know how many people are just trying to prove a point? Just trying to do things to show that I'm better. I want to prove that I, I feel so sorry for people like that. Because what if they fail? What then have they proven? They've proven that their fear of not being good enough, not being strong enough, not being fast enough, not being wealthy enough is true. They're not. And their identity is wrapped up in these things. No. Our identity is wrapped up in one thing, and it ought to be wrapped up in one thing, that we are the loved of God. And He loves us, and that's it. We are precious. You are as valuable as the price that is paid for you. And that's the price that was paid for your soul. You are precious. All right, love is not rude. The NIV, I love it, it says, does not dishonor others. 
I love that. I think that's beautiful. It doesn't speak badly of other people. It is not self-seeking. It is not provoked or overly sensitive or easily angered. You know, you get people like that sometimes. Just peevish, I think is the word. You have to walk on eggshells around them because you just say the wrong thing and my good. Love is not like that. Love is unoffendable. You cannot offend somebody who is secure in the love of God. It does, not rejoice, it does not take into account a wrong endured. Think that one through. What does that actually mean? It doesn't pretend that it didn't happen. It just doesn't take it into account. It was a cash sale. It didn't go through the books. <laughs> it doesn't take it into account. It keeps no record of it. It's as though it never happened. It does not rejoice at injustice, but rejoices with the truth when right and truth prevail. And here he kind of sums it all up. Love bears all things regardless of what comes. The mark of our maturity as believers can be measured by what, it, what we are able to bear and keep standing, what we are able to endure and keep loving. And we get to grow this, by the way. But let me tell you something. There's only one way to grow it. That's by exercising it. That's by practicing it. That's by letting stuff go. That's by continuing to seek relationship and intimacy no matter what. And the more we do that, choosing to let the stuff go, the more the life and nature of Christ has an opportunity to grow in us. Listen, again, we can do this superficially, but that's not what we're talking about here. I'm talking about that stuff that goes deep, on, deep down inside our hearts. Do you want to be happy? Do you want to know the love of God? Do you want to walk free? You have a choice. We can change our attitudes. Let's carry on. It bears all things. It believes all things. In other words, it continues to look for the best in everyone. It chooses to focus on the good, not the bad. It chooses to focus on what could be through Christ rather than what has been. It sees the best and it focuses on that, and it calls it out. It hopes all things. It remains steadfast, even in difficult times. It endures all things without weakening, and this is why the love of God, the God kind of love, never fails. It never fails. If we truly desire for the love of God to shape and change our attitudes, if that is our heart's desire we will succeed because the love of God never fails. I want to say to you, it's not dependent upon what goes on around you. It's dependent upon what's going on inside you, inside your thoughts, your emotions, your, your, the things and the places you allow your heart and mind to go. It's in the things that you choose to hold on to and it's in the things you choose to let go of. The presence of God's love in our hearts means that these attributes that we've just spoken about are available to us all should we choose to yield to the power of God's love within us, should we choose to yield to them. And that's the choice we get to make, the wonderful privilege that we get to have of living a life that is free. That does not mean we will never get hurt. That does not mean we will never get disappointed. That does not mean that people aren't going to say or do things that we are going to have to work through. It's going to happen, folks. 
I don't, I'm not selling you a rose without thorns. I understand that life is tough. And, and, and by the way, not only are people going to do things to you, you're going to do things to people that you're going to regret. You are also going to lash out in emotions or, in, or respond via your insecurities. But the more we understand these things, the more we can overcome them and begin to walk in the love and the mercy of God. It means sometimes we are going to have to say we are sorry. And it means sometimes we're going to have to allow somebody else to say they are sorry. And it also means sometimes we're going to have to pretend somebody else said they were sorry. Because they're not. Our aim is not merely to endeavor to live, lie, to live these attributes out. Rather, it is to become the embodiment of them. I want to read you a quote by a man called Dallas Willard. He was a, a professor, a theologian, a philosopher. And he made this statement. Love, then, is a condition of the will. Did you get that? I just want to pause there. I know it's not scripture, but you don't have it in front of you. Love is primarily a condition of the will. It is who we choose to be. And on the basis of who we choose to be, it is what we choose to do. It's got nothing to do with your emotions primarily. Why is it that the divorce rate among love marriages is so much higher than the divorce rate among arranged marriages. Because people who come into an arranged marriage, my mother will tell you, have decided, okay, this is the person I choose to love. It's put together, and so now I get to say, all right, you're the one I'm going to love for the rest of my life. Come hello, high water. And that's it. But what if we fall out of love? Love is not a puddle that you slip in and you fall into and you get up and then, you, oh, you slipped again and you fell out of it. It's not something that happens to us as we happen to go along. No, that's just unchecked emotions that are leading you instead of you leading them. Love is a condition of the will, Dallas Willard says. He goes on to say, embodied in the fundamental dimensions of the human personality, guiding them for the purpose of serving the good. In the deepest sense, love is not something you choose to do. It is what you become, a loving person. It is what you become, a loving person. And so Jesus tells us, I want the way you treat each other to demonstrate that you are my disciples because of the love that people can see that you have one for another. He also, in that same sermon on the mount that we started off with, said, by the way, you've heard it said, Love your friends, hate your enemies. And that was how things were taught in those days. But Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies. I mean, this is revolutionary. This doesn't come naturally to the flesh, does it? No. We want, we want that verse in the Bible where it says, um, Vengeance is fine, saith the Lord. That's how we like to read it. It actually says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. In other words, don't you take vengeance. It's not fine. That's the one we want to see. We want to see. And folks, let's just have a look at what's going on in the Middle East right now. That's what it looks like. That's what it ends up as. Vengeance, vengeance. We're right, you're wrong. We're right, you're wrong. Oh, but you did this. Oh, but you did that. When these things are allowed to fester, they spread. 
They become the very culture of our homes. They become the culture of the what we think and how we think. There are people who live just to get one up over on the next guy. You know what appalls me? When you drive down every highway in the United States, there's billboards, 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 advertising, advertising, advertising. And I want to say to you, 60 to 70% of them, this lawyer, this attorney, this advocate, sue them, get your money, show them who's boss. It's this attitude of, and it's the antithesis of love. It's the antithesis of love. Because true and sincere love looks like that. You know, love looks like something. Heidi Baker, an evangelist from Bethel into Mozambique, always used to say, love looks like something. It's practical. It's a choice that we make to lay down our lives, our hurts, our offenses, our preferences, and our convenience for the sake of another. It's just that simple. And it's it really beca- hits home and it really becomes a part of who we are and our daily experience when that attitude becomes our joy. It ought to be a joy, a joy to lay down our lives, a joy to serve, a joy to do what is right and to bring glory to our Father. And so that's another one of those areas where if it's not a joy for you, hey, you haven't arrived, you've got work to do. And I want to say to you, you'll get victory there when you work on it. And then something else will come and you realize, oh man, I've got work to do. There were some weeds that grew in this part of the garden while I was busy weeding this part of the garden. And when I finished weeding this part of that part of the garden, I realized that tree I pruned last year has gone bonkers again. That attitude, that just, it's like a vine. Every year I've got to come back to this thing and cut it back because I'm getting selfish again. And we've got to keep tending this garden of our hearts. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. So I'm going to keep planting love. I'm going to keep weeding unforgiveness. I'm going to keep planting mercy. I'm going to keep weeding selfishness. And this journey is one that you and I will go on for the rest of our lives. But hopefully, we'll get to a place where we have a beautiful and established garden where because of continued work we have manicured bushes that only need to be trimmed every now and then because they're established. We have trees that are beautiful. They're big. They don't need pruning anymore. They're, they're, they're established now. Certain truths about ourselves, about God, about faith, about other people that are now bearing fruit that we get to pick and enjoy and share because God has been doing a wonderful work in our hearts. And we are free butterflies and the ladybirds all coming. The birds are coming in. Little squirrels, mongooses. I love mongooses. Special place in my garden for those. I want you to understand, folks, I'm not telling fairy tales. Not only is this the greatest privilege you and I have in this life, it's also our greatest responsibility. We don't have excuses here. God will accept none. So what are we going to do about it? How do we embrace this? The first thing is to come into the presence of the Lord and say, Jesus, thank you for your love for me. Receiving the love of God. And maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you've been going through a lot of stuff. 
Maybe you didn't even know. You, you're not, you, maybe you're here with a, a weight of things on you that you believe God is sitting and He's got His checklist and He's got some stuff to work through with you. You know what He said to Isaiah? He said, come, let, his, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, though you got that and that and that and this and this and all these other things you're aware of, I'm going to make it white as snow. Because if you come to me and you put your trust in me, I'm going to, and you allow my atoning sacrifice to count for you and for your sin. In other words, you acknowledge your wrongs so that they can be forgiven. What we acknowledge, God forgives. What we do not acknowledge, God can do nothing with. He says, come and be forgiven. Receive love, receive acceptance. And then maybe we also need to say, Lord, what about that person? What about this relationship? What about these things? What about my attitude? Would you come and make your love alive in this part? So what I'd like to do now is we're going to go into a time where we sing a song, maybe two. And I want us to pray. Just pray together. Maybe we'll be quiet together and give the Holy Spirit some time. Holy Spirit is here. He is the, he is the Spirit of God's love. Amen? He is here. And I can tickle your ears and tell you all about the love of God. But He's the only one who can make it alive to you. He's the only one who can make it real. So shall we stand together? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.